I grew up just outside of Washington, D.C., where my dad was a pastor for 36 years. Here's the church building where we gathered for worship. We are pretty close to the district. We could see the Washington Monument on the way into church. When we gathered there, it was the norm. It was the norm to have families join our church for a couple of years, and then their military or other government assignments changed, and they moved on. In the church's neighborhood, there were people who were literally from all over the world. I did not grow up in a church that was made up of mostly Caucasian people. The church building was located at a very busy intersection. Across the streets, there were high-rises, about 20 stories tall, six or seven of these high-rises that housed individuals. I remember when this building here was, was built. It was a very busy intersection. Hundreds of thousands of people passed this church building every single day. With all those people passing by the church building, the church leadership wanted to have a a sign out in front of the building that communicated uh, the truth uh, of why we gathered. A sign that communicated what we were united around. And I remember even as a kid hearing my dad ask visitors that I've, a question, a question I've asked many of you as you have been visitors over the years uh, at, at Harvest Bible Church. The question went like this. How did you hear about this church? What brought you in the front door? And I can remember visitors responding with, with this answer, something similar to this. Well, we saw on your sign that you believe in the same truth that we believe. And that's why we came in to worship today. The church sign had all the typical schedule information that you, you sometimes see on church signs. But then at the bottom of the church sign, it said this. We preach Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. That one line of truth united Christ followers from every corner of the world who gathered together for worship as the Calvary Baptist Church of Alexandria, Virginia. The unity of God's children in worship is the theme of Joshua chapter 22. Would you please find that chapter in your copy of the Holy Scriptures? Joshua is the sixth book of the Christian Old Testament, and it records for us part of the history of our promise-keeping God. We only have a few more studies in this series, and today we enter into the final division of the book. If you've been with us from the beginning of the series, you'll remember that we've already studied in chapters 1 through 5, entering into the promised land. Chapters 6 through 12, fighting for the promised land. Chapters 13 through 21, distributing the promised land. Now it's time for us to consider the final three chapters of this book and the admonishing about the promised land. The first admonishment is in regards to corporate unity and devotion to Jehovah God. Promise kept, after promise kept, after promise kept. Israel had seen Jehovah keep his promises over and over and over. 
And now it was time for the nation of Israel to answer this question. How will we respond? Will we be devoted to Jehovah God? If you are a child of God this morning, this passage calls you to a laser-focused devotion to God. If you are not yet a child of God, if you have not yet been born again, this passage presents the God of the universe as being worthy of your devotion, worthy of all of your worship. It calls you to be, to be uh, if, if you are a child of God, it calls you to be unified with your brothers and sisters in Christ as we worship God together. First, let us consider the call to a diligent devotion to our promise-keeping God. You remember that the children of Israel had, had entered into the promised land? They had conquered the promised land. We read that at the end of, of chapter 21 as we, uh, in our commissioning service for Anagros a couple of weeks ago. They had been given the rest as God had promised them. They had distributed the promised land. They had received their allotments. And now we come to Joshua chapter 22. Follow along as I begin reading in verse number 1. Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he said unto them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but you have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest unto your brethren as, as he promised them. Therefore now return you and get you into your tents, into the land of your possessions, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Here it is. But take diligent heed to do the commandments and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So Joshua blessed them, and he sent them away, and they went into their tents. Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given possession of Bashan, but unto the other half thereof gave Joshua among their brethren on this side of Jordan westward. And when Joshua sent them away also into their tents, then he blessed them, and he spake unto them, saying, Return with much riches in your tents, with very much cattle, with silver, and with gold, and with brass, and with iron, and with very much raiment. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. Note from these first eight verses, both the direct and the indirect reference to being diligent to following Jehovah God. Verse 3 says, you have kept, some translations say, you have been careful to keep. Here we have from Joshua a gracious commendation for the two and a half tribes that would reside on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Can you remember back to January when we studied chapter 1, verses 12 through 18? Joshua had given these two and a half tribes instructions. Their families and their cattle would remain on the east side of the Jordan, but the men of war would go fight with the remaining tribes to displace, to dispossess the, the Canaanites. Now here in chapter 22, we read that these two and a half tribes have already been diligent. They've already been diligent in their devotion to God. They came to their allotment years ago. They crossed over the Jordan to help their other tribes dispossess the rest of the promised land. So for about seven years, 
they did follow God's instruction to fight for and to fight with those other tribes while their own land was waiting for them on the other side of the Jordan. Matthew Henry, the commentator, said it this way, Though it was by the favor of God and His power that Israel got possession of this land, and He must have all the glory, Joshua thought that there was a thankful acknowledgement due to their brethren who assisted them and whose sword and bow were employed for them. God must be chiefly eyed in our praises, yet instruments must not be altogether overlooked. Joshua commends, he commends the instruments that obeyed, that had obeyed the Lord. Parents, there's a good word for us in this passage. There's a good reminder to commend your children for their obedience. Too often we expect obedience that is better than our own. Too often we magnify disobedience instead of commending the obedience. Commend behavior that is good. Commend behavior that hopefully is, is reflecting what is going on, the work of God in the hearts of your child. Joshua commends, then he commands. Joshua's addresses, his, his, he, Joshua's address emphasized their past devotion, and it emphasized their obligation to continue to be devoted to Jehovah God. Verse 5 says, Take diligent heed, or be careful to observe the commandments of the law of Moses. Again, we hearken back to, to chapter number 1 in verse number 7, where Joshua said, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all that the Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not, be, not turn from it from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This is how God had instructed Joshua. This is what God had exhorted Joshua to do in chapter 1. And now Joshua is exhorting, exhorting Israel to do the same thing in chapter 22. Love God passionately. Be diligent in your devotion to God. Not only was there this direct reference to diligence and their devotion to Jehovah, but we also notice a couple of indirect reminders towards diligence. Joshua reminds them that they had obeyed the voice, the instructions that Moses had commanded. They had kept the charge. They were also reminded in verse 8 about the massive blessings You'll have, you have much raiment, you have gold, you have silver, you have cattle, you have all of this blessing. In other words, Joshua is saying, don't forget the blessing that God has given to you. Don't forget how God has, has, has lavished upon you all of this goodness, how God has been so kind to you. Therefore, because God has done this for you, remain loyal to Him, remain devoted to Him, pursue Him, be diligent about it, take heed to it. Children of God are called to be diligent in their devotion to God. Now, we are not Israel. We are, though, God's children. So the exhortation from these eight verses is no less important for us today. Children of God must exercise diligence in their devotion to God. Are you careful to follow God's instruction? Do you run from sin? Are you attentive are you aware of the, the idolatrous defaults of your heart? Are you passionately devoted to the worship of God? That is what God's children are called to do together, to be diligent in our devotion to Him, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, might, and strength. 
The truth of God unites the people of God in a corporate worship of God. There is to be diligent devotion to our promise-keeping God. Secondly, we observe from the middle section of the chapter a demonstrated devotion to our promise-keeping God. Look at verse number 9. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel out of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go into the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, whereof they were, possess- whereof, whereof they were possessed, according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Imagine the emotion of that day when two and a half tribes left to go to the other side of the Jordan River. They left their fellow Israelites at Shiloh. That was the location of the final gathering and the the final time where the land was being distributed and and announced to the allotments. Can you imagine passing through the the campsite and saying goodbye to all the men they had gone to battle with? They were leaving their brothers and sisters who they had shared so much with over the years. But all was not well. Word began to spread about an unexpected turn in circumstances. In fact, it was the worst possible situation. Word on the street was that these two and a half tribes already have started to apostatize. Look at verse chapter 22, verse number 10. And when they came unto the borders of Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see to. And the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan to the borders of Jordan in the passage of the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. The western tribes could not understand why these two and a half eastern tribes had set up another altar. Deuteronomy chapter 12 teaches, teach, teaches us, reminds us, the teaching that Israel received. They had been commanded to offer sacrifices only at the place that God had chosen for them to offer sacrifices. This teaching was intended to preserve the purity of worship of God. One altar, one faith, one people. It taught a truth that, is, that remains today, that there is only one way to God. Friends, don't let that skip past you in 2019. There is one way to God. Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am living water. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me, Jesus said. Friend, if if you are trying to get to God in any other way, you should know that that is impossible. Your good works, your church attendance, your decades of marriage, your financial generosity, None of it can get you to God. The Western tribes were passionate about wanting to honor God and respecting God's holiness. They were riled up because of what these Eastern tribes were intending to do. But what about these Eastern tribes? 
What was going on there? What a great example we have of one party directly, directly confronting uh, the offending party. Look at verse number, verse number 13. The children of Israel sent unto the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, to the half-tribe of Manasseh, and to the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten princes of each chief house, a prince throughout the tribes of Israel. And each one was an head of the house of their fathers among the thousands of Israel. So ten household heads went with the priest. Verse number 15. And they came unto the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, to the half-tribe of Manasseh, unto the land of Gilead, and they spake with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is that that ye have committed against God, the, the God of Israel, to turn away this day from following the Lord? And that ye have built you an altar, that you might rebel this day against the Lord. Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us, from which we are not cleansed until this day, although there was a, a plague in the congregation of Israel? But that ye must turn away this day from following the Lord. But it will be, but it, and it will be, seeing ye rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. Notwithstanding, if the land of your possession is unclean, then come back over to the land of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwells, and take possession among us. But rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan the son of Zerah commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel. And that man perished not alone in his iniquity. Phineas and ten representatives from the west crossed the Jordan to, to order, in order to confront the eastern Israelites with what they thought was a clear case of apostasy, forsaking God, running from God. They feared that if these two and a half tribes turned their back on God, that it would have a negative effect on the other nine tribes. They remembered how the whole nation was affected by the sin of one man named Achan. The western tribes were so devoted to their worship of God. They were so concerned about the purity of worship of Jehovah God that they took up weapons of war to use against the very men that they had spent seven years fighting with, not against. Apostasy is no laughing matter. Perhaps you have heard in recent weeks and months, the past couple of months, of the Christian author and former pastor Josh Harris and how, he, how he, and how he has denied the Christian faith, walked away, as it were, from God. The western tribes were certain that they would be affected by these eastern tribes turning their back on God. James Montgomery Boyce said it this way, If those who claim to be God's people, if those who claim to be God's people do not live for Him faithfully and obediently, Others who are trying to follow the Lord will suffer. Christian, your devotion or lack thereof not only affects you, it affects your brothers and sisters in Christ. In order to preserve the unity among the people of God, He has given to us a process for any who would claim God and then turn their back on God and walk away to reject God. That process is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 18, 
it describes to us what church discipline looks like and how it would be carried out to the glory of God. You see, the church lives under the kingship of Jesus alone, who has entrusted the care of his flock to elders who have the overwhelming responsibility to guard, to protect, and to discipline the flock. Brothers and sisters, those of you who are members of Harvest Bible Church should be reminded that we are so devoted to our promise-keeping God that we will not allow you to reject God, to walk away with God without the church taking action. In other words, we love you so much, we care so much about the purity of God's church that we will carry out the instruction of Matthew 18 with the hopes that you will return to your own devotion, your own diligent devotion of Jehovah God. And if you're not a member of a local church, I implore you to to pursue membership in a gospel-preaching church for your own sake, that you too may have others looking over you to hold you accountable in your pursuit of Jehovah God, so that if you are tempted to turn your back on Him, others will come and say, no, don't do this. Remember Jehovah God. Remember what He has done for you. The nine tribes were so concerned, they were willing to do anything to gain these two and a half tribes back. Verse 19 tells us, that we read it, that they offered their own lands. They said, if that land over there is corrupt or unclean in some way, come back over the Jordan. Come be with us. Live in our land. That's how much they were concerned. That's how much they loved their brothers. Friend, what kind of sacrifice do you make on behalf of those who look like they are drifting from God? Sacrifice whatever is necessary in order to keep someone from turning their back on God. James chapter 5 says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is one of the reasons that we here at Harvest Bible Church have connection groups. We don't have connection groups because it's, it's scripturally outlined that you have to have connection groups in a local church. We have connection groups as one more means of having people have relationships with one another. So that if, if, you, if you are struggling with sin, you're, you're, into, you're, into, you're being tempted and discouraged, and you're, you're thinking about turning your back and walking away from the Christian faith and walking away from your love for God, you have others who come around you. You have a leadership team who comes around you and says, no, don't do this. We plead with you. Don't turn your back on God. Remember the goodness of God. The Western tribes demonstrated, they showed their devotion to Jehovah God. But what about those eastern tribes that were on the other side of the Jordan? What would they do? How would they respond? As you drove in this morning, you may have noticed that thanks to our wonderful deacons, our parking lot has been resealed. It happened on Thursday. A crew arrived early and worked till mid-afternoon. I went out to about 3.30 in the afternoon to put some cones up and to string some ribbon across the two driveways because that's what they told us to do in order to protect the seal that, was, that had just been put on it that day. It wasn't that hard, right? You see ribbon across the parking lot? Don't come in. UPS guy got it straight. He pulled it to the grass, handed me the package. He went on his way. Good for him. 
But while I was at the, the, the entrance driveway stringing the ribbon across, a small box truck pulls onto the grass between the two driveways. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Then the box truck proceeds to the exit driveway and pulls onto the pavement. I'm a bit exercised at that point. I'm thinking, whoa, what in the world? And I start making my way down the grass towards the, the, the driveway down here, and I got a little bit of extra pep in my step, and I'm like, hey, are you parked on the parking lot? Are you on the pavement? I think you're going to have to move. He kind of looked at me like I was weird, which is something I've experienced most of my life, and he answered, yeah, I am. I'm here to finish the job. I'm here to put the stripes. I'm here to put paint on the parking lot. I'm here to do the job that you've called me to do. He didn't say all of that, but I could read through between the lines a little bit. Somehow in my desire to protect God's parking lots, I had got my whole foot stuck inside my mouth. He wanted what was best for the parking lots. I wanted what was best for the parking lots. Yet there was a misunderstanding, a temporary miscommunication between the two of us. Really, that's what we have in Joshua chapter 22. The reply from the eastern tribes is, is beautiful. So kind of God to record this for us. You know what we would have done, right? You know what you would have done if we had been falsely accused. We would have replied back to the other tribes, You big idiots! God didn't say that we couldn't build that altar. Hey, this is our business over here. You kind of see your way out of it. We don't have to give an account to you. That's just your opinion. Who do, you think, who do you think you are to judge if we really truly love God? But that's not how the people of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh respond. Instead, they agree that if the charges were true, then the judgments against them would be valid. Look now at verse number 21 of Joshua 22. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said unto the heads of the house of the thousands of Israel. The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows, and Israel he shall know. If it be rebellion, or if transgression against the Lord, save us not this day. That we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer thereon burnt offering or meat offering, or to offer peace offerings therein, let the Lord himself require it. And if, we have, and if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, in time to come your children might speak unto our children, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you, ye children of Reuben and children of Gad, and ye have no parts in the Lord, so shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us, that you and our generations after us, that we might do the services of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, and with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your children may not say to our children in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, said we that it shall be when they should do when they should so say to us or to our generations in time to come that we may say again 
Behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between us and you. God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord and turn this day from following the Lord to build an altar for burnt offerings, for meat offerings, for sacrifices, beside the altar of the Lord our God that is before his tabernacle. And when Phinehas and the the priest and the princes of the congregation and the heads of thousands of Israel which were with him heard the words of the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the children of Manasseh spake, it pleased them. The eastern tribes explained that their altar would not be a functional altar, but a memorial altar. That it would remind them of the altar at Shiloh. They explained that it was a structure of unity versus a structure of division. They had no intention of using this altar for sacrifices to false gods, or even as sacrifices to the one true Jehovah God. They intended for this altar to be a witness for their children and for their children's children to come. They intended for the structure to testify of their own devotion to the one true living God. The chief concern that they had, the the eastern tribes had, was in fact the same concern that the western tribes had, that Israel be united in their worship of Jehovah alone. I'm so glad that we have an example of a good old-fashioned misunderstanding that ended to the glory of God. Both parties were demonstrating their devotion to Jehovah. Even though it looked massively different, even though civil war was threatening their unity, both the East and the West were attempting to demonstrate their devotion to God. There are times in your church when you have a misunderstanding with other members on important matters, when you might be suspicious or doubtful of the purity of motives of someone in the church. The call for Christians is to assume the best, not the worst. May God help us at Harvest Bible Church to heed the warning of this passage. Millennials, be patient with the vigilance, golden age harvesters that God has blessed us with. We are so blessed to have the full gamut of ages at Harvest. Hoary heads among us, We count you as being super valuable to this congregation. Please do not say, don't say to yourself, I'm too old, it doesn't matter what I think, my years of serving and helping and advising are done. Friend, God has placed you into this congregation for a purpose, and we need your voice. Millennials, be reminded that we have golden age harvesters who love God, and they are diligent in their devotion to our promise-keeping God. So when they speak up, listen well. Golden Age Harvesters, thank you for being diligent in your devotion to the Lord. In recent years, or maybe for you, it's been for, for decades. Please know that generations coming up behind you are not turning their back on God if they read the Bible from a device instead of from paper if they use an updated Bible translation, if they sing songs of praise that are different than the ones that you hold dear. You see, it would be easy for one generation to claim a greater love, even a greater devotion to Jehovah God than another generation based on peripheral matters. 
Instead, we are called to a 1 Corinthians 13 love. Love hopes all things. So let us assume that our brothers and sisters in Christ have the best motives and that their choices may not be the same as ours, but are made with wholehearted devotion to worshiping God. The truth of God, the truth of God unites the people of God in our corporate worship of God. So we have seen that we must be diligent in our devotion to our promise-keeping God. We have seen that devotion demonstrated both by the Eastern and the Western tribes. And lastly, we see a declared devotion to our promise-keeping God. We pick up now in verse number 31. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, said unto the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because ye have not committed this trespass against the Lord. Now ye have delivered the children of Israel out of the, land, out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and the princes returned from the children of Reuben, and from the children of Gad, and from the land of Gilead, unto the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought them word again. And the thing pleased the children of the Lord. And the children of Israel blessed God and did, not, and did not intend to go up against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar Ed, or witness, for it shall be a witness between us that the Lord is God. They affirmed their loyalty to God. They made declarations that matched what they had already demonstrated. Joshua chapter 22 is yet another Bible passage that teaches us that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. It wasn't about, about an altar. It wasn't about a geographical dividing line like the Jordan River. It was about devotion to the promise-keeping God of the universe. Israel had been oppressed in Egypt, and God liberated them. Israel had wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years because of their own unbelief, and God preserved them. Israel was at war to possess the land of Canaan, and God gave them rest. God had been faithful to his word. God had kept his promises to his people. He had been true to them. We wandered around in unbelief, and God came looking for us. We had no hope in ourselves. All our righteousness was as good as a bunch of filthy rags. And God sent his perfect son. We were bound for a hell, and God provided heaven. That's the main thing. It's the gospel. This is what we must proclaim. So we prioritize gathering with one another every single Lord's Day to declare our devotion to our promise-keeping God. We sing, in Christ alone my hope is found. We sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We sing, what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we declare that we are the children of God. And as we, are, we, as we gather together, we declare that as we, we plunge ourselves into the waters of baptism, that we are united to Christ, and we are buried in the likeness of his death, and we are raised in the likeness of his resurrection, that we may walk in newness of life. And we declare that we are the children of God. And we declare the gospel as we come together to the table to remember that Christ's body was torn, that his blood was shed in order that we might be reconciled to God. We are called when we come together 
to declare our devotion, our singular devotion to this one true God. The truth of God unites the people of God in their corporate worship of God. So the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. We're called to discern between essential elements of, of faith and those that are disputable matters. Harvest Bible Church, we cannot compromise on the truth of God's Word. If God's Word says it, then that settles it. Harvest Bible Church, by design, our church body is made up of, of great variety. Old and young. Mature and young. Male and female. Rich and poor. Intellectual and more simple. Formal and informal. Democrats and Republicans. Individuals with preferences for worship style and Bible translation and probably color, color of the carpet. It is God's intent that we be varied. It's God's intent and design that we be different from another. It's part of his gospel plan to redeem people from every kindred, tribe, and nation. We are not striving together for the preservation of fundamentalism. We are not striving together for personal preferences. We are not striving together for sacred cows of tradition. We are striving together for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what unites us in our devotion to God. So what will you do? I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in you that one true living God is who we unite to worship. The truth of God unites the people of God in their corporate worship of God. Our unity cannot be found in our devotion to a football team, to diet and exercise, or to our bank accounts. Our unity is found in our devotion to the truth that is found in God's holy word. This truth, our unity is found in the truth that we find here that says that there is one triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. The truth that says that there is a vicarious atonement for all who will repent and believe. The truth that is presented in this word of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. A Christ who is the Prince of Peace. A Christ who is the Lily of the Valley. A Christ who is sticking closer to us than a brother. A Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. A Christ who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So may God grace the people of Harvest Bible Church with unity as we devote ourselves to the truth of God as we gather together every Lord's Day to worship Him. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes?